Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. You have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter number 16. If you were here last week and your memory is not like mine, you probably said that sounds familiar. We were in Matthew chapter 16 last week as we continued this never-ending, no-end-in-sight series on perspective. Every time I preach, I trust that you appreciate the self-control and discipline that I sometimes am able to possess to not just go off on so many tangents. <laughs> but has the, has the world not given us a lot of examples where we have to view life with a biblical perspective. I thought yesterday I would change the message to revolve around the rationale of allowing a Chinese glorified hot air balloon to sweep across the entirety of our country, get all the information they need, and then shoot it down. See, you're right now, you don't know if you should laugh or you should cry, you should be ticked off. Righteous indignation, the kind Jesus had. But what about all the rednecks at Myrtle Beach that got to watch that yesterday? <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine the, the amount of tank tops and mullets watching a missile hit a hot air balloon. I mean, that just, you, you can't make this stuff up. I'll stop there and move on. I almost last night changed the message to a biblical perspective of gluttony. Because yeah. <laughs> I went with the senior adult group to the classic restaurant last night. And the reason I'm not preaching that is because I was with them. And we don't preach on those types of things. No, it's, um, we had a good time, big crowd. I don't know if any food is worth waiting in that kind of line for, but we did nonetheless. And um, I mean, if you would see the plates, I'm not going to look in that direction, of the people that came back to the table, unashamed with like 70 of our people. You know gluttony's never preached on. And um, I'm not gonna call any names, but one person came back and I don't know how they possibly got that much on one plate and I said, you do know you get to go back. <laughs> and they did. We get on the bus and they're talking about where to go eat dessert. They got a whole dessert bar. But anyway, we're not there. We're in Matthew 16. Last week, we read this passage where Jesus is with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. And within this text, we learned biblical um, a biblical view of Jesus, who he really is. 
Of course, one passage will not exhaust all of who Jesus is, but it was a good passage. It's a good passage to, to see the reality of who Jesus is. But at the very end of the passage that we read last week, it's a great place to see the biblical reality or to have a biblical view of the church. The local ecclesia, the local assembly, what you and I are a part of today. So as we have a tradition here, we're going to stand as we honor God's word. I'm going to read verses 13 through 18, really focusing on verse number 18 today. When Jesus came into the coast or the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he said unto them, but who do you say that I am? And he said unto them, and Peter said unto him, thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And just really as a pre-sermon to the sermon, uh, if you come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way, it won't be because of the, the eloquence or the ability of a preacher. It won't be because you had a good mom and dad. They may supplementally help assist you in meeting Jesus. But if you come to know who Jesus is, it will be because God himself has revealed it unto you and his Holy Spirit has convicted you of your necessity of salvation. Verse 18, after Peter answers this question and got it right, Jesus says, I say unto you, thou art Peter. I always wondered what Peter's reaction was to that. Yeah, that's what they call me. There's a reason. And I say unto you, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, if I could, if I could make this a 30-second sermon, and I'm not, I would read that verse of Scripture again, that last verse, and just say, church, be encouraged. Upon this rock... Jesus says, I'll build my church. There's a lot. There's a mouthful of theology in that statement. Upon this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. It's not in my message, so I got to say it here. The church belongs to him. It's his church. It's not one person. It's not one pastor. It's certainly not one family. It's certainly not deacons or other small group in a church. The church belongs to Jesus. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. And here's the encouraging part. Hey, we might have Chinese spies through the skies of America. We might have incompetence immeasurably in the White House. We might have crime out of control. We might have drugs out of control. We might have... Um, porous borders at best while our enemies come make themselves at home. The church may be laughed at. The Christians may be mocked. But Jesus said, Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It doesn't matter what we see, what we experience, how bad it gets. The church of Jesus Christ will continue. That's encouragement. We don't know how it all is going to turn out and how it's all going to end, but we know the church will prevail. Y'all with me? The church is going to last because it's his church and it's built on him. Preachers come and go. Pastors come and go. Leaders fail and go. Church members fall off when you can't find them. But the church will prevail in spite of and despite of man's frailty. It's not built on man. It's built on Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. I pray we're encouraged today about your church.
Thank you for this local church. I thank you as a pastor, as a Christian, for other local churches who are sticking with the word of God, preaching the truth, living the truth in these dark last days. We ask today that, we, that you open our hearts and minds. Teach us from your word. Help us to be not just hearers, but doers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A biblical view of the church. Now, I don't have to spend a lot of time in introduction um, making you aware that there are different views of the church. A few weeks ago, we started talking about a biblical view of Jesus, and I said, if you want to know if there are different opinions or perspectives, just ask your coworkers what they think of Jesus. Go to school tomorrow, students, and say, hey, let's talk about Jesus. While you're in the self-checkout line at one of your favorite stores, ask somebody what they think of Jesus. By the way, that, that's got to be the next closest thing to the Antichrist, is self-checkout. I like self-checkout. I just don't like when someone has to come help me at the self-checkout. Everybody notice how that just defeats the purpose? Somebody's thinking, well, if you weren't so dumb, you could do it yourself. <laughs> no, it's always something didn't scan. We got to go get Billy to come over here and scan his QR code so he can get you in. It's like if Billy would just been at the register. <laughs> See, that's how this mind works. Perspective is the capacity to view things in their true relation or their true relevance or relative importance. Always two conflicting views and the church is no different. Today we do live in a, in a messed up world. We live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a world where scripture has taught we would head. Wrong seems to be right and right seems to be wrong. If you weren't here on Wednesday night, good for you. Um, the book of Romans led us into the last portion of chapter one, which really is a synopsis of where America is, where we are glorifying sin. We're celebrating sin. We're having special days, special months, special parades for sin. And the Bible is clear. God is very clear. When man refuses and rejects the knowledge of God, they are given over to their own ideas, their own morals, their own thoughts. And when that happens, nothing good comes out of it. And that's what we see in America. Unfortunately, we see it more in America than any other country that has sense. Because of that, the church is no different when it comes to different perspectives. None of us in here, once again, if you kind of grunt or amen me, it'll help me get through the introduction, which is four times longer than the sermon, I promise. <laughs> Literally is. We might get the introduction done today. If you'll help me by acknowledging that the church is shunned today, the church is looked down upon today, the church is looked at as irrelevant today, we can speed through some of this. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a, a Bible student. You don't even have to be a super duper spiritual Christian to understand the church has lost and continues to lose its relevance in America today. Barna Research has made it very clear. Now, Barna is one that can usually be trusted. Pew Research can usually be trusted. But Barna did a study on the state of the church in, in 2020. Now, I'm going to build this up. I want you to pay attention, please. If you're bored, you know, doodle or something, make sure your phone's off. Somebody's already binged in here. It's important. Better answer. Um, I'm not just giving the research I'm about to give because I like it, but because it sets the stage for where we're at. A lot of times preachers start doing research, start pulling out numbers, and the spiritual uh, Pharisees say, well, that's not in the Bible. We don't need to hear it. One of the problems with America today and the American church is we don't know where we're at, and therefore we don't care. 
We've got to know where we're at. You know, anytime you deal with a personal problem, you've got to acknowledge I've got a personal problem. Anytime the church starts to deal with a problem, the church needs to understand where we're at and where the problem lies. So it's one thing to say that the world has a, a messed up, non-biblical view of the church. Whereas if we can just push them out, by the way, conspiracy or not, I think it's common sense, those leading our country in the wrong direction want to eliminate the church. We are the only, listen, we are the only remaining hurdle keeping sanity in our country. Well, that was, that was a big statement. It's true. Imagine where this country would be if the church, the local church, the believers who make up the local church would shut up, roll over, play dead, and let them do what they want to do. I had to take a real quick time out here and say it almost seems like that's what's happened. And it has to an extent. But if they, whoever they is, could eliminate the church, they've got a clear path to do whatever they want to do. This is the conclusion of this thought. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? What are we going to do as believers who make up the local church? Are we going to play dead? Are we going to say whatever happens, happens? Now listen, I, I'm, I knew this was going to happen. We've got, a, we've got a generation or two behind us, behind us old folks, who they have adopted a philosophy under a spiritual guidance. I'm just throwing these words out to try to make it palatable. To where we really shouldn't be that involved because whatever is going to happen is going to happen. We should just kind of migrate to our little groups of Christians and study our Bible verses and really sharpen our theology amongst ourselves and let it all do what it's going to do. Now that couldn't be more anti-Bible than anything. Do we not, do, do they not, do we not understand why they killed Jesus? Now us theologians look back and say, well, it was the plan of God for Jesus to come and be the sacrifice for the sin of the world. Yes. But the people killed Jesus because he messed up their system. He preached truth and it exposed their lies. He had a following of believers who were following him instead of following the Jewish religious system. He messed up the politicians. They started showing up to hear him instead of them. And what he taught was not what they taught. As a matter of fact, if you believed what he taught, but believe what they taught, somehow there was going to be a collision. He was a disruption to their political system. He was a disruption to their religious system. And we're going to teach a group of people that we ought to sit back and, and just be a bunch of fairies and not deal with this, not confront the garbage, the sin, the legislative sin. That's not biblical. That's not rational. And it's certainly not evangelistic. No, we can tell people about Jesus. You know, Jesus in the, on the side of the hill with sheep, the, real, the, the, the Sunday school Jesus. We can tell them about him. No, I, I believe scripture teaches if you follow him, you will be a disruption. If the amount of millions of professing believers in America started acting on their belief, there would be a disruption. Well, that sounds political. No, it's biblical. It's spiritual. We're different than the world. We think different than the world. We operate different than the world. And that is not peaceful. Whoa, whoa, what is he saying? 
We're going to protest when we leave here. <laughs> I got my gun. All right, right. Somebody. No, Jesus said, hey, you guys are teaching Sunday school with this little, this little sweet Jesus. He said this. No, he didn't say those words. He said, you think I come to bring peace on earth? No, rather division. Why? It's not popular. It's not cozy. It's not comfortable. But everything the world is teaching us is to be cozy and comfortable. Go alone to get alone. If you don't go alone to get alone, we're going to call you out. If you don't participate in our celebration, we're going to call you out. And that's where we live. And it's counter to the world's opinions. And in our text, Jesus talks about the church, the true church. Not what the world thinks about church, but what he says about church. Not what Society thinks about the church, but what the Bible says about the church. Barna did this study in 2020. You thought I forgot. The state of the church. By the way, aren't y'all excited for the State of the Union address? Isn't that going to be much watch, must watch TV? I am so pumped to watch that. For those of you who don't know me, talk to somebody who's laughing. They said this, 40% of U.S. adults, this is in 2020. By the way, we have to qualify this now. This is pre-pandemic. So we had this thing, well, we, I'm not sure if we still have it or not. It's been over twice, based on the president. But then this past week, he said he's going to make sure it's over May. I don't know if y'all know that or not, but it will officially be over the third time in May. He's going to declare it Over. After we have a ticker tape parade for blowing down a hot air balloon over Myrtle Beach. Good job. 40% of U.S. adults believe the church is no longer relevant in 2020. I expect that from the world. 52% of self-proclaimed non-Christians say that the church is no longer relevant. I expect that from non-professing believers. These are lost people. 20% of self-professing believers said the church is no longer relevant. These are people that claim that Jesus is Lord of their life. They're probably on a roll somewhere. They're probably griping every time something happens they don't like. And they say the church isn't relevant in America anymore. A believer, the church isn't relevant how does this manifest itself? We see it. This is pre-2020. Nine out of ten churches, nine out of ten evangelistic churches in America are either stagnant or declining in growth. Nine out of ten of them are growing, if they're growing, at a pace lower than their community. Y'all see what's happening here? Um, have y'all noticed your community is changing? What, what is that? Well, you don't know about my community. Well, I, I know they're all changing. I know people live beside you in your neighborhood that didn't used to live there. I mean, I grew up on the, that side of the railroad tracks, different zip codes in Kannapolis. And I know which we were a little bit on the red side, don't get me wrong. I know of some people that are now working with us, live next to us, we'd have a, we'd have a war on our street. Not, not saying that was right or that God would be pleased with it, but we wouldn't let some terrorists come live on our street. That's a joke. But we're working with them, we're living with them, we're going to school with them. Different groups of people. And the community is not only growing at a rate higher than the church, the people in the community are quite different than they were 50 years ago, 20 years ago. And they're bringing all of their customs and they're bringing all of their religions and they're bringing all of their worldviews with them. I'm not saying that's not American because someone's saying, well, that's America. We're the melting pot. We're, we're a conglomeration of all different types of people and religions and ethnicities and all that stuff. And you're right. 
But it used to be happening at a much smaller rate, especially when you used to have to follow rules to get into the country. But it used to happen that way. But it was under, with the understanding that America was Christian. So America is Christian. It was founded on Christian principles. And we're going to follow Christian foundational truths. But you can come in with your religion, but understand that we're Christian. That's how it used to be. But when some of your favorite president, Barack Hussein Obama, said, we are no longer a Christian nation, but we're a nation of many religions, it opened up the door to everybody coming in saying, we're just going to make it a polytheistic country. Everybody's welcome, which they ought to be, but they ought to follow our rules. And the rules used to be God first, country first. Or close second, you know, 1B. Right? But now it's changed. So what's that got to do with you preaching? The church is changing. The opinion of the church is changing. And now, slowly but surely, the church is becoming irrelevant. We're just some of those people. They go every Sunday. Listen to that redneck preacher talk about the president. Those people. Every generation, this is where it's kind of, it ought to get our attention. Every generation is seeing a decline. Now, I get into the generation thing, and you know, we got some, I think you got the, the greatest generation ever and the builder generation, the World War II generation. Uh, you've got the builders, and then you've got the boomers, and then you got the X's, which was me, and then you got the Z's, the millennials. Then you got the Z's, which are millennials on steroids. <laughs> that their mom and dad bought them. All the generations are decreasing. Now, we don't have a lot of information on the millennials and the Z's over the last 30 years because they didn't exist. But even the boomer generation and the builder generation are decreasing in their church attendance. Now, the, the builder generation gets a pass because some of them are dying and we don't let dead people come to church. <laughs> but once. <laughs> Only 15% of millennials are regularly attending church. Under, two, under 2020, 2020, when the reports came out, the state of the church from 2019, for the first time in American history, this is fact, for the first time in American history, church attendance became the minority in America. Not born-again Baptist evangelical church, but evangelical churches, temples, mosques, cathedrals. For the first time in American history, there are more people not regularly attending a worship service than are. We look back, we, church, we can't watch what's going on and act like we don't know why it's happening. We know why it's happening. We don't have a voice anymore. Every generation declining. Dropped below 50% for the first time when the numbers came out in 2020. They follow a lot of trends from 30 years. 30 years is not that long. Now, it used to be long. When you were like 12, 30 years from now, it was like, oh, Jesus will come back three times before that. <laughs> That's when you're 12. But then when you're 42, man, I was just 12 like two months ago, right? And I done passed 42, and some of you have too, a couple times. <laughs> the trends are astronomical in 30 years. Why is this happening? It's a good question. What are the results of this happening? We see it. We see it nationally, but we also see it within the church. I've got a lot more, I'll keep going with something different. All of that was prior to COVID. 
Now, you can say what you want to say about COVID. I've said what I thought I said a lot. But it has messed up the church even more. It has, oh, I'm going to try to stay with my notes. I promise. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to be mean. I've already done that for the last two years, and I think all the, I think all the dust has settled, I hope. What we know in all the research on COVID and the church, by the way, there are studies being done. Here's a very simple explanation for what happened to the church with COVID. I'm going to read it so I don't get off task. COVID accelerated the decline in church attendance. Here's, here's a better way of setting it, putting it, setting it, putting it. COVID, I, I, I don't like how I said it there. That might make somebody mad. Um, COVID exacerbated pre-existing conditions. Here's, here's something else we know about COVID. I'm not talking about the physical aspects and the deaths and the sickness. It's not what I'm talking about. Please don't misquote me and go out madder than you were five minutes ago. What we know about COVID, not just religiously, not just within the realm of the church, but sociologically, psychologically, COVID made people more of who they already were. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, don't take that wrong. Like, I, I got a friend who doesn't like to go out in public, right? He would rather stay at home, stay in his basement, do his thing, and never see a person the rest of his life. COVID made him more like that. Because he was like, yes, now I've got a real excuse. People that wanted to be out all the time like somebody I know that's standing up here. We went to non-communist states just to eat. Getting out of the house. We're going somewhere. We spent a, a weekend in South Carolina, just across the border, just to get out. Made me, made me want to go out more. And when the, when, the, when the freedom finally rung, it was like, gotta go somewhere, gotta go somewhere. Where are we going? Gotta go somewhere. Now I'm being silly because the already pre-existing spiritual conditions were exacerbated. We knew this. We saw this. Listen, I, I, do y'all realize, I want y'all to feel sorry for me real quick. I became the pastor of one of the biggest churches in this area after the man who was here was here 38 years. I mean, we all but built a, a bronze statue to him. <laughs> and I was the one leading the charge. Right, to celebrate him because it's worthwhile. Okay? And then I took over, and then we had a worldwide pandemic. Yeah, feel, thank you for feeling sorry for me. <laughs> now, all, all seminarians, everyone who's ever been to seminary, we did take a two-year course on how to lead a church during a worldwide pandemic. So we were all prepared. What we've learned is everybody got some of it wrong and everybody got some of it right. Maybe. But nobody knew what to do. Now I've got, I, I still to this day, almost, I would say minimally monthly, meet someone, knows what I do, and say, what did y'all do during COVID? Or here's the question, how long did y'all shut down? And I'm wondering, based on my audience, how I should answer it. I'm like, we kind of didn't. We tried, but our people are stubborn, and they wanted to come back. That's a good thing. That's usually how the story goes, but I don't say stubborn. I say spiritual. They love Jesus, and they wanted to come back, and I wasn't about to tell them not to come. Just in case anybody's wondering, there are people not here today because I did that. Are you making that up? No, I got their number. I got their names in my, no, no, because they didn't handle it right. Now we're out of COVID and what we know, it, well, I think we are, but now what we know is it drastically affected the church. 
Now, I'm not one of those. Some of you would be intrigued to sit around and say, does he think China tried to kill the church? I, no, I think they tried to kill America, and I think they still want to, and they're looking out with a balloon to see how much damage they did. <laughs> but inadvertently, they punched the church right in the throat. No, I said they. I didn't mean that. That sounded like Trump. Uh, the, the virus and the effects hurt the church. On one hand, I know y'all didn't come to hear the State of the Union based on the church post-COVID, but I'm going to tell you what it did do. It purged the church. And there are people who started going to Bedside Baptist and are still solid members there to this day. Pastor Pillar preaches a good one. You know what it did? It, it made people who they are. And the person who didn't give, didn't give. The person who did give, still gave. The person that was lukewarm, fell off. The person that was on fire for God, stuck with it. I'm not saying, do not, do not read into what I'm saying and make this say something I'm not. I'm not saying they were the stubborn ones that said, come hell or high water, I'm going to church and getting sick. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in 2023, they're faithful, they're serving, they're volunteering, they're giving, they're involved. While the other ones were sending a letter to this month. Ooh, that got quiet. We are. Now, once again, just be careful. We're not sending it to people we know or going somewhere else, right? Well, we're going to find out where they are and ask them to come back or let us know that they're not coming back. By the hundreds. I'm not talking about 20 people. To my hundreds. And it's not, lest you be concerned, it's not COVID fallouts. It's people who had already fallen out and COVID secured their fallout. A lot of them. Now, some of them, the FBI can't find, so we're, we're not going to get anything back, so we, we're already ready for that. We budgeted the stamp knowing we're not going to get a return on investment. <laughs> Volunteerism went down. It made people more of who they are. It purged the church. And the remnant remaining, I don't like to say it that way because it sounds like this is all we got left. No, the church is still growing. The local church is still growing. And I'm a, I, I could talk about this a while, but I want it to be preachy, biblical, and spiritual. The research shows this. Now you can do with it what you want to do with it. I didn't make this research up. I didn't get published. This, this is the research. I always offer my notes. I got 12 pages of notes today. I'm on about two and a half right now. Uh, you can always have them. Somebody asked for it three weeks ago. I emailed it to them. Nothing to hide. I don't copy people's stuff. This is not my research. It's documented, and you'll see who it is and Google it yourself. The research has shown post-COVID, once again, I'm saying this, trying to, trying to be sensitive. The churches, how do I, I'm trying to be sensitive. The churches who continued to meet while offering options, different options, grew or maintained. Just, just these are the facts. The churches that shut down, declined in growth, or closed the doors. On a super 30,000 foot level, research has shown Big churches got bigger, and small churches got smaller. Well, you can do whatever you want to do with that. But I have seen, not just in our church, but in other churches, I know pastors. We, we usually get along. I don't hang out with the ones I don't get along with, so I can't say we don't get along. People left churches to go to churches who wanted to have church because they found out their church didn't enjoy having church. 
or their pastor was just fine sitting at home in his pajamas reading John 3.16 behind his home desk to the 14 people watching. What does that have to do with anything? The church that has remained, not just from COVID, but prior in the, the decline, the church is stronger. It has been purged. It has been trimmed up. The fat's been cut off. Now, I know how this is going to sound to some people because there's some people sitting around saying, he just called me fat. <laughs> when they find out I was talking about them, he just called me fat. And that's far more detrimental than calling them lost. <laughs> but the church that has remained is stronger. In America, you, you've lost some flab and you're a little more mobile and you got a little more energy. Now, he's like, was he talking about a church or is he talking about my diet? No, we're lean. And how does how it manifest? Giving nationally in churches never declined. I, I'd have messed this whole thing up, I know. Well, how did that, some, somebody just, well, how did that happen? Because the people that didn't come back weren't giving. Now, now I know, I know. I can read minds, I've told you. I know somebody out there is saying, well, I know old Jimmy, he was giving and he ain't coming back. I didn't say it was universal. But how else do you answer that churches giving stabilized or increased while they lost 100 members or 50 members or 10 members? If you knew the times during COVID that a good Jesus-loving church member came to me and said, well, you know, we don't have... These people are going, but, but the offerings are higher. Does that mean? I said, just stop. Just stop. Just stop. You're a mathematician. You've got it figured out. People that are invested are invested. People that are concerned are invested. People that are called of God to salvation and called of God to service are invested. And Jesus said, where your heart is, there will your money be also. It's made the church stronger post-COVID. Oh, it's 1147. That's half of the introduction. Matthew 16, 18 provides the foundation and the future for the true church of God. Everybody relax. I'm not going, I'm not going on. I'm literally on page four of 12. I promise I'm not going to waterboard you today. Just relax. In our text, which I haven't forgotten about, in verse 18, I want us to read it again. I'm going to wind it down, and I'll put a bookmark here. Peter has responded to Jesus to the question, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Peter, Jesus says to Peter in verse 18, I say to you, thou art Peter, little stone, Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Part of culture's opinion about the church revolves around whether or not the local church is not only relevant, but even necessary. You say, well, I don't, I don't know anybody like that. Good, stay away from them but they're around. We don't have to go to church, and here, here, here we go. Here's the C word again. COVID proved to me I don't have to go to church. I, I don't have time to argue that other than to say this. In Bible study, in theology, in doctrine, there is a, there's a, a principle that's called the law of first reference, okay? The law of first reference. You, you seminary students, y'all listen over there. The law of first reference. If you see something for the first time in Scripture, it means something. So the law of first reference states that when you see something for the first time, a topic, a doctrine in Scripture for the first time, let me, let me read the actual words. I, I didn't make this up, so it sounds better. Um, 
The first reference to any doctrine contains the embryonic truth of its development, like embryo. This is the first time I've seen it, and so we gotta pay attention to it, hear, learn what it says about this subject, because this has everything to do with the development of that topic. When Jesus, the foundation of the church, says the word church, ecclesia, for the very first time, it's in Matthew 16, 18. We ought to perk up. We ought to say, what did Jesus say about the church? Because what he says in the, the first reference to church has everything to do with the further definition of the church. And there's a lot of so-called scholars who would like to make us believe that the local church is not biblical. That's a way of satisfying their, their um, discontent or their disuse for the local church. It's a way of saying, well, I can, man, I got a group of 25 guys and girls, whatever, families, and we're really sold out to Jesus, and we meet in my living room every Sunday, and we have church. Now, I, I know these people. I know some of them, and I'm not here to argue about that necessarily because sometimes they get convicted, and then they call it, you know, First Church of Bloom Street. That's where I live, all right. And so it makes them feel like they've established a church, so they kind of get by with that. No, a, a glorified small group where you sit around and, and ask everybody what you think about this scripture and then talk about people is not a church. So the word here, ecclesia, is a, is a, is a definition for a called-out, separated group of believers. Called out for a purpose, separated for a purpose. It speaks of the local church. The word is the word where we get the idea of local church, local assembly. Now, everybody here ought to be smiling because I'm going to finish before 12. I'm going to stop before 12. And you're all here today. So nobody's getting fussed at. And we're like, we're all, the rest of those sorry so-called, no. There are people providentially hindered today. One I was texting with this morning is on her way to Cancun, so she's providentially hindered in Cancun. I kind of told her she shouldn't be giving Mexico any, anyway, I didn't. Do you know what they're doing there? Called out group of people. You say, well, is this the only time that Jesus uses it? No. Is it the only time in the New Testament? No. It's, the word here is used 114 times in the New Testament, 90 times about the local called out assembly church. Don't tell me and don't buy in to some softy who wants to say the church is irrelevant and you don't have to go to church. A wise man I used to listen to all the time, he said this, oh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but you got to go to church to be a good Christian. Makes good sense. Most people in life go to church three times in their life. When they're born, when they're married, and when they're buried. That's what history teaches us. Adrian Rogers said, hatched, matched, and dispatched. The local church is biblical. The local church is essential. The local church is beneficial. The local church is biblical. Going to church is biblical. The writer of Hebrews said that we're not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. And I, immediately when I read that verse, I feel people saying, whether you're here or not, that can't be what that means. It's exactly what it means. Verse 24 says, hey, we got to get together and encourage one another. And even as the world gets worse and things start falling apart, go more and more. I thought I was doing God a favor by going two times a week. You're talking about all three services? And somebody just thought, y'all got three? <laughs> I've only been a member five years. I didn't know we had three services. COVID fog. 
Jonathan Lehman, you don't know him if you do good, said a local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through the gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. I don't like church. I don't know how a Christian cannot like church when the church is the bride of Christ. You can't love God, you can't love Jesus and not love his bride. Now, I'm going to stop with this. I remember a day where I didn't like church much. It was last Sunday. I remember vivid. No, just kidding. No. And I'm saying this for some of your benefit, and especially for this younger mixed with some old people crowd over here. I remember a day when I wasn't excited about going to church. And I've got excuses. The preacher was too long-winded. See the irony? Okay, gotcha. Um, I didn't like the music. These are excuses. Um, I didn't like to get up in the morning. Breaking news, I still don't like to get up in the morning. People are mean. I, I never said that, but people are mean. I decided this past week, um, see, I'm writing books. None of them have ink to paper yet, but I'm writing books. And chapter seven of whatever book I write first is called this. This is the title, People Are Crazy. <laughs> chapter seven, People Are Crazy. And one day, uh, when I'm teaching as a professor in some seminary somewhere, I'm not gonna use your names, but I'm gonna be talking about you <laughs> in my book. That's how all the famous people do. These are real people with fake names. I had a lot of excuses. Here was, the, here was the real reason. I wasn't where I was supposed to be spiritually. Now, I'm man enough and Christian enough to say it. I know it. I knew it then. I look back and I know it now. I wasn't where I was supposed to be. Now, for some of you, you need to hear this. I think church ought to be a place you want to be. I mean, every... A wise man once said, you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? <laughs> you want to feel welcome? You want to feel um, encouraged? You want to feel loved? You want to feel appreciated? And if we're Christian and full of Holy Spirit, we want to learn the truth, even when it's uncomfortable, because we know it makes us stronger. We, we want that, and I'm going to be honest. Um, Perspectives change when you have children. And, and I want church to be a place where my kids and your kids want to go. Now, I know. I've got them. They're honest. I know, they're, I know what my son is thinking right now. If you wanted me to have fun, you would have already been done by now. <laughs> That's what he's thinking. My daughter's been talking the whole time. Her mom's been shushing her, so we don't know what she's thinking. But it ought to be a place where we enjoy each other's company. We have fun. Uh, don't we all want to go where everybody looks like this? So encouraging, iron sharpening iron. I'm glad when he's over. He hadn't said one thing spiritual the whole time. We all love those people and their faces. I like looking at them for 50 minutes. It's encouraging, it makes me stronger. It's the times I would rather you sleep than look at me like that. <laughs> we need to build a church to where kids wanna be a part of something. We need to have youth programs where they wanna go. We wanna have Awana programs where they wanna go. We want preschool where they wanna go. We want it where they wanna have fun with their friends and hang out in a Christian environment. And if we're honest, as, as this thing, this whole thing is flushed down the toilet, certainly we ought to want to go to a place with like-minded people where we can hang out and know that we're loved and appreciated, we can talk the same language and be encouraged together. That's what a true Christian wants. They don't like the dirtiness of the world that they have to live in during the week. They just put up with it 
because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so we ought to have an oasis. We ought to have a, a, a tropical paradise where we can come together and have coffee. Well, that's just not of God. And, and hang out with people and shake hands and get COVID and all the stuff we do and get sick off each other because we love each other and we're encouraged with each other and we grow together and we have church. You don't get that on Tuesday at a Bible study at the Holy Grind. You can get some of that, but don't count that as your church for the week because that's not the ecclesia. It's not the first mention of Jesus. This church and every church like us, which some are kind of, but every church that's preaching the gospel and living the gospel are, are a jewel in the crown of heaven and we ought to pray for them. We ought to encourage them. We ought to lift each other up and thank God that there's still some churches preaching the truth, Amen. living the truth, meeting together, not backsliding on truth and saying, it's all right if you don't want to come, just watch us or send your tithes in and we'll send you a copy of something. That's not church. You say, well, that's your old-fashioned opinion. No, it's Matthew 16, 18, Bible, biblical view of the local church. And that doesn't change. It won't change with culture. It won't change with worldwide pandemics. It'll be affected, but the truth will never change. Would you stand with me? I don't even know what to do. I've messed up everything. I think it's the first time I've ever preached a portion of an introduction for 50 minutes. I just want to maybe conclude and say, as a pastor, as your pastor, thank you for being faithful to a local church. Here's what I know, here's what I've learned. If you're faithful to a local church, I mean faithful and invested, not just invested financially, but faithful and invested. The, what keeps you faithful and invested is your relationship with the foundation of the church. And people who are faithful to him are faithful to his church. We're not the only one in town. We're the best one in town. But every pastor ought to say that about their church and every believer and every member of the church ought to feel the same way. So more power to them. They ought to love their church. They ought to love their people. They ought to love their pastor. And I'm all right with that. So as a pastor of a church who has experienced a lot of disruption, I'm grateful to you for being faithful to him, which is manifest in your faithfulness to the church. Giving? Well, When's the last time I said, we're gonna take an offering today? I forget that we're taking offerings. We got two measly little offering plates here, which look a little thin. <laughs> we got a couple drop boxes back there, and we got online giving. And I hardly ever say anything about the offering, but somehow we're meeting budget. It's because you're not having to be you know you're supposed to be given, little poodle. It's because you're invested. Now, if you're not, I'm preaching that in March. Be ready. Perspective on giving. I'm not telling you which day in March. Just come and we'll figure out what happens. But I didn't plan any of this. But honestly, as I can say, thank you for being faithful to him and faithful to his church. The church will remain. We'll talk about that maybe next week and preach the actual sermon because he is the solid foundation. We got a job to do. As this world spirals downward, the gospel is still the good news. And the local ecclesia is the place where we can get together, huddle up, organize, and say, this is how we're gonna address getting the gospel, discipling our people. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. And so thank you for being faithful to him. And the, I wouldn't be much of a preacher if I didn't say, if you don't know the foundation of the church, Jesus, he wants a relationship with you. And you can have it, a relationship with God by accepting him as your savior. Greatest decision you'll ever make. 
Last week, Peter answered the most important question he'll ever have to answer, who is Jesus? And I trust you know who he is. Father, thank you for reminding us in some way today the, the truth of your church, the local church. I thank you for a local church that's made up of people who are faithful to serve, faithful to give, faithful to attend. A church that loves people, cares about people, meets the needs of other people. I thank you for reminding us of why the church exists and who the church is founded on. May we never forget it's not on a person or a personality, it's on Jesus, your son. God, today, if there's a person here that's never made him Lord of their life, never accepted Jesus as their Savior, trusted in him, I pray today would be the day they would make him Lord. Make the best decision, the most important decision they've ever made. We ask this in Jesus' name. While we sing, if you need to be in a time of prayer, these altars are open. If you need to respond. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.